176. Year four. Yes, year four. That is that is the truth. Hello, Tim. Good afternoon, Zach. How are you? Good morning for another hour. Well, you know, depending this on morning, I usually just tell, like, I think we've talked about this before. I just say good morning all day. I know people look at me like I'm a buffoon. It's fine. Yeah. Like, they probably Do look people at me really like that pay anymore. attention anyway, right? Yeah. What is it, 20% of people that, like, when you're on runs, how many people that you say <laughs> hi to actually return the message? Uh, I don't know. I try not to, you know, I, I don't want to engage in conversation because I have my, my AirPods in, uh, uh, noise canceling on. You're like, hello. I, I know, but it, I just, some people are like, have more time than me and they want to have a conversation and I have to pull the AirPod out wait, and wait, wait, try wait, to, wait, wait, wait. you know, I'm like, no, no, no. Did I you say you time. wear noise canceling on your runs? Yeah. That's dangerous. And I'm, I'm no. Dr. Danger. Yeah. He can't hear a damn thing in those things. Well, the, yeah, but the thing is when uh, you have all the planes flying overhead, you can't hear anything either. So, and, and you really, the wind is a lot of noise too, but I'm running against flow of traffic. I'm more, I, I am very, very attentive in my, in my running. Well, don't you, don't you worry about me, Zach. I've only been hit a couple times. Have you really? Yeah. Really? Well, point? just because uh, like a uh, car's not paying attention that, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to turn left and uh, they're not looking right for uh, for the runners. And then I'll uh, give them a little pop on the, on the quarter panel and then go about my business. I almost got hit by a car in a parking lot the other day, walking across the street, thought the person was stopping. They didn't. Some young, young, youngin see them in the car like this <laughs> as it was me and three uh like a, another set of people right behind me and i just go hello yeah this well yeah me like so I'm when we ran I'm, I'm not only am i in a parking lot but i'm also in a crosswalk yeah like hello didn't you pass that test well when we did the uh the half marathon together yeah you, you always made it you made fun of me because i waved everybody and like for me when i'm running i waved it especially to every car because I want I want to see them wave back to me. If they don't wave back to me, then I know that I have to be more more alert uh, in terms of my defensiveness. You were like aggressive about the uh, saying hellos during the run, though. You were like, "Hello, everyone." Good I do, I do. Like, yeah, this I do dude's running like a seven forty five pace, thirteen miles in, just like, "Hello, everyone," kissing babies, you know, shaking hands, you know, in the middle of a half marathon. That's you know, nice. and then there's me dying over here. Like, it's... no, I, but yeah, I appreciate the people that come out to support the runners. It's pretty cool. Well, um, we are. Delighted to uh, have a conversation today uh, about something that, um, well, we've never talked about here, to, to my recollection. <laughs> what, is that true, Tim? Have we ever talked about this before? No, and, and there, there's so many, uh, so many play on words that... I know, it's exciting. I, <laughs> I'm just like a little schoolboy over here, just, just giggling at the thought of being able to talk about poop for a little while. So I'll just, I'll break the ice and say poop and then we can we can go on rachel it's great to see you great to see you guys too and hey now that we got the first uh the first poop out of the way 
you know. First and, one is uh, always important. Yeah, hopefully the audience is ready for a whole lot more of that because uh, it's our entire industry. <laughs> and um, even in wastewater engineering, that's not specifically our brand of poop. Um, you know, we are we are full of those kinds of, uh, let's say, I don't know, little gimmicky one-liners, like we're number one in the number two business oh. or, <laughs> um, you know, oh, what do you yeah. do for work? Oh, I take a lot of shit from people. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm super excited for this show, but just for Zach. Yeah, I mean, it's- uh, This is gonna be great. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't wait. But, but, but it really, I, I, in all seriousness, I do use you and Pancopia as like, you want to talk about a business that that made the the most brilliant pivot that you could make in business. I mean, like you all had to pivot, and I, I don't want to jump ahead of the story, but it, when it when it when it comes to like total addressable market and TAM and like the space station, you know, you all you all had to pivot really really quickly, and and we'll get into that. But it, it's going to be a really fun hour, so I'm looking forward to to chat in a little bit. Yeah, thanks, me too. Yeah. I, what's, what, Rachel, what's the best way? How do you, how do we, how do you, how do we want to kick this off? Do you want to hmm. lead us in with how yeah. you typically uh, start okay. your pitch? I'm pretty familiar with everything. So I'll let you, let you yeah. take it away. <laughs> Won't be anything you haven't heard before, Tim, but I can, I can pepper in a little, um, a little bit of uh, founder stuff. Um, so I guess for context, I am not the founder of Pancopia. I was one of the first original hires and, um, the longest lasting or the longest seniority employee that's not the founder right now, but, um, our CEO and founder, Bill Cumbie, he actually founded this company, um, took early retirement from his wastewater consulting firm or sorry, environmental engineering consulting firm. He specialized in wastewater, but he also did a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, regular water, drinking water, storm water, wastewater, and a whole bunch of other kinds of things. Uh, he's a real variety guy, wanted to start a company and always wanted to work on the space station. You know, he always talks about his, his usual little gimmick is, you know, he grew up seeing about, you know, hearing about the moon landing and, you know, thinking, oh, I want to work on space. But by the time I'm, you know, grown up and can do this everything's already going to be done. And, you know, fast forward to his retirement from his uh, consulting career. And the first contract we get is for NASA working on their water recycling system in space. And which is a a cool thing because um, A, NASA, always cool. But B, it really makes you think about what NASA actually needs because water is usually not the first thing that people think of when they think of NASA but it actually takes up 92% of their living budget, um, which is just keeping people alive in space. And water is uh, pretty expensive. So this is kind of, Tim, where we're gonna get into the part that you already know. And, oh crap, I forgot my, uh, I forgot my prop bottle, but we'll use this guy for now. You know, it's just a, about a liter of water, regular water bottle, you know, the most anybody down here on earth would pay for it is, um, the maximum I've heard is $20. I usually like to ask. Um, and that's, you know, if you're at a concert venue, it's a hot day 
and you're really getting price gouged because they don't allow any, you know, outside liquids in or something like that. If you're really getting gouged, maybe you pay $20. NASA has paid $10,000 for that bottle of water before. And that's because when you have people in space, you have to keep them alive. But getting things to space can be very expensive, especially if something is heavy. Um, NASA actually breaks everything down pretty much into mass equivalents, which is just how much is it going to take to get this into space? And water is very heavy. So when you have people in space, you have to have water, but you can't make water smaller, you can't make it lighter, and you can't not have it. So you and, have to all, recycle all the, it. All the and food that's why is NASA dehydrated is in the as well, right? Hmm? Isn't, all, isn't all the food for the most part is dehydrated as well? Like fruits and vegetables mm -hmm. and all water, that stuff. Because water weighs a lot. It's really heavy and it costs a lot of rocket fuel. So um, breaking everything down into basically the, uh, the lightest form that it can be in, that's very much of interest to NASA. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's actually our first contract that we got was for freeze drying wastewater microorganisms that can break down uh, ammonia and harmful forms of nitrogen um, and basically eat them. And But for NASA, we were going to explore freeze drying them because that's essentially dehydrating them and then seeing if you can bring them back to life once they're in space and you don't have to worry about you know, transporting them up with the water anymore. What's the form so of that's water that's did? up there right now? They just get it out of like a, a big keg or like water bottles? Like how? how like, <laughs> well, I'm well, just thinking a like lot a keg water, is probably like the least yeah. amount of space. That's what I was thinking. It's yeah. Like a big barrel. I don't know. What, it's it's, it's yeah. through your bladder. I mean, yep. Pretty much uh, through the uh, good old all natural water portable. Oh, they don't have know, water up there? Water containers. That's us. But um, a lot of the water that's up there is actually already recycled and has been recycled a bunch of times. But right now they're using mechanical systems and physical chemical systems to recycle that water. So, um, yeah, uh, like you guys were talking about in the beginning of this podcast, I really hope people are comfortable talking not just about poop, but about, you know, the fun subject everyone loves to talk about drinking urine that's what um, they do but yeah not straight urine that would be uh very bad but um I know. I, I, maybe i knew this but i feel like this is the thing i learned today wow okay <laughs> wow i'm mind blown already wow yeah yeah and so like the thing well, is, is i mean jumping ahead just a tiny bit is it like mm -hmm. well from a total addressable market standpoint zach there's only so many toilets and space stations in the world so they had to figure out a different path to go but but keep going rachel in, in terms of you know what what is happening in space and what you all have found out in terms of what you do with urine to make it drinkable yeah well with making urine drinkable i mean that's not just a space thing that's also a down here on earth thing um you know uh if anyone is interested in uh what we do on earth basically uh we flush the toilet and it all goes into a sewer, which ends up at a wastewater treatment plant. I'm sorry, I'm going on a whole bunch of tangents, but it is really interesting. Um, and these wastewater treatment plants have, you know, giant tanks where they basically remove all of the stuff that is in poop and pee. So, and they remove it slowly 
piece by piece in these gigantic tanks and through multiple big kind of stations that involve some physical screening and then some biological treatment because, you know, for microorganisms, you know, it's kind of like a one man's trash is another man's treasure. Our poop is some other organism's food source. So um, use biological treatment to remove all the other stuff besides water that's in poop and pee at stations. And then it eventually goes out into the environment once it meets the standards. And NASA is currently doing most of their um, wastewater recycling because they're not just treating it to release into the environment, they're treating it to be able to drink it again and use it again. So they got to take it a step further. Um, they're using a lot of uh, physical chemical systems and mechanical systems, but NASA knows just like here on earth, biological treatment really is the best way to go long-term because microorganisms are the best employees. They work for free. You give them the right environment and the right food and they're going to be having a grand old time. You know, for them, it's not work, it's surviving and thriving. So for NASA, we've been exploring ways to bring biological wastewater treatment to space. Because um, it'll be uh, a lot, basically, uh, a lot less moving parts than physical and chemical systems. And um, not to say it's easier, but longer term, longer term, it is probably the most reliable way to um, recycle your water if you're in space is to have a system like this where you don't have a lot of parts that break. All right, so you, you just described something insanely complicated. I, I gather most of it. You're not an engineer. You're more on the business side of things. It, like, do you, like talking to a customer is important, right? And so like, do you, do you, when you're talking to one group, is it like you figured out a way to like, really make it jargonless and, and be like, yeah, we just do this. And, and it's a one sentence. And then with the other side, it's like, let's be as technical as possible. How, how do you live in, in that world of, okay, like I can talk about it from a technical perspective now, but really maybe I need to talk about it in a more understandable way. Like, like here, you know, for, for me, mm -hmm. the idiot to understand what you're saying, like, it's very fascinating. Like, like, how do you, how do you break that down? That down. That's a we're really gonna be, interesting we're gonna question. Be, we're going to be good with these today. How do you get it out? There you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to squeeze a couple of them Please. in here, too. <laughs> I, I love a one-liner. One-liners yeah. and dad jokes. Highest form of comedy. But, um, uh, yeah, honestly, that's a great question. Um, I So I'm not an engineer. I started on the business side, but eventually, um, you know what? That, that's a story for a later day the uh, tour question. Uh, I, we do get a lot of tours of completely different levels of technical background. Um, you know, two weeks ago, I was giving a tour to um, two PhDs in uh, manure management from that were visiting from Taiwan. And uh, a week before that, I was giving a presentation to high school teachers. Um, who are looking to teach from an engineering perspective. And like three months before that, I was talking to high school kids. So, I mean, the level, you never really know. Um, well, not you never really know, but there really is no one size fits all 
tour or one size fits all explanation. Um, well, I'm like the elementary but, school kid. So, so please speak to me in that kind of level. I'm, am I smarter <laughs> than a fifth grader? Absolutely not. Well, and the crazy thing, well, I mean, it's super complex. All right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, I've got a, I've, I've probably got like eight or nine different kind of tours in my head that I have that I give. And I mean, it comes down to two things. One is background and one is the other is time. How much time do I have? Um, yeah. And I, th I suppose the other one is, is understanding your audience. I mean, that's probably uh, when a presentation standpoint, that's what you always hear, hear that all the time. So really understanding the audience so you know which presentation you need to pull from. Yeah. And I mean, it's usually just like, how much does this group know going in? And sometimes that's, well, I flush the toilet and that's about what I know about poop and pee. And sometimes it smells um, and it's gross. That's so there's like that baseline and it's like, okay. So that's where we should probably start. You know, when you flush the toilet, what happens? Um, and then there's other people who are, very knowledgeable about our field and you know who are who really want more detail mm, and yummy. so it, it it really depends um and i i gotta say uh it's a skill i've had to learn several times and that i'm not always uh particularly good at because i have a couple tours that i go through in my head but i'm also uh like Rachel in her natural state is a context person. It was a running joke in college that I could never tell a short story. And every Rachel story has six tangents and never fully gets to the point. So this is something I've really had to work on is being concise and staying on message. And you've already seen me get slightly off message and distracted by tangents at least twice in the uh, less than 20 minutes we've been here. Do you want us to but, run a, 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 a ticker? You know, like, okay, mm -hmm. you're at two now from tangent, so we can go to three soon. Like, uh, mm -hmm. we can get the ticker on the bottom just going, okay, we're on tangent one, tangent 17. I love it. Um, but from a business perspective, Tim would agree with this. Mm -hmm. I, I think I remember this, the first time this ever happened to me where I really realized that, hey, like, from a technical perspective, it's okay to be technical, but you have to think your audience is, is at the, um, the, Original Hatch Demo Day. I don't think I knew you yet, Tim. Mm -hmm. Chris Maku, yeah. who's the CTO of uh, Notaris, and he he was just giving a very technical talk, and no one. Yeah, in the that, crowd that's, that's where the whole uh, situational awareness conversation came up, right? To say what that means and to make it easier. Yeah. 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 So like he's sitting there, and at the time we didn't have like a time uh, time frame. We just let people talk. He's going on for like twenty minutes about the most ridiculous things, and it's like. Yo, bro, no one understands what you're talking about. Like, we got to work on this. And so it's like, hey, like, even if you're a CTO or a technical person, maybe at the chief level, figure out how to talk about this in a CEO level so that most of the people in the crowd, at least the crowd that was there today, can understand it. And the easiest way that I'll, I'll decipher that into a different way is saying, you know, forever we had these little things called MP3 players. Right. They're always described yeah. as this thing with 256 a gigabyte of, of memory. And that's how it was explained. You don't really understand that until Steve Jobs one day gets up and goes like, hey, what would you do with a thousand songs in your pocket? It's the same data point, but mm -hmm. you could precisely understand what the heck they were talking about for the exact basically the exact same tool. And so, yeah, you know, I, maybe that that um, that story that makes a lot of sense. Much. 
but it's true. I mean, you you finally realize like this phone is I don't know you know a hundred a hundred gigs. I don't know what the hell that means. But what is a hundred gigs? Yeah. You know what does that give me? You know, and so by making it so that the idiot can can understand, you know, dummies guide it mm -hmm. down. And and I think more people should do that. They don't. They overcomplicate it. They think that oh this person knows what I'm talking about. It's like ah, I guarantee you they don't, um, yeah. unless they're a PhD you know, from Taiwan with, um, you know, manure management in their, in their background. That's, yeah. that's and, an outlier. <laughs> and even then, even people who are technical experts may not be technical experts in exactly what we do. Right. And, you know, so even, even talking to, to PhDs in manure management, I have to ask, do you guys know what this, you know, like, okay, so this is a swine lagoon, you know, we need to start at the beginning. This is a, this is, you know, this is a picture of what it looks like because things look different in different places. And even if someone's a PhD in wastewater treatment, we can't guarantee they know anything about agriculture. And, you know, there's a lot of assumptions, but I totally get what you're saying, Zach, because we've had to implement a lot of that in our materials. I mean, our CEO is a, um, wastewater engineer with a lot of experience and um, who really understands, you know, the technical parameters of what we're doing. But, you know, sometimes we've had to say, you know, maybe we shouldn't say 12 million gallons. Maybe we should say the size of two football fields, you know. Well, that's maybe, a lot easier to understand. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. as you say that, or, 12, 12 million gallons, I'm like, I don't know what the hell that means. Yeah. It's like we have to put it in Come context on. because this stuff is complicated even for people who know what they're doing, even for people in our field. This stuff is complicated. And if there's a craft behind that. anyone to understand what it is we're doing, we got to put it in a term that someone's going to understand. And people know about how big a football field is, or at least they can visualize it. You know, one of the... Um, uh, one of the metrics that we use for our, uh, you know, how much waste is there? Because, um, well, we, we haven't really gotten too far into what our company actually does. That's my bad. Uh, <laughs> still three. learning on that whole tangent thing. Should have kept the NASA conversation. No, too no, no, you're good. You're good. We're, we're, we'll bring it all around. But um, so our, our field is actually agricultural wastewater treatment. And North Carolina is one of the largest wine producing states in the country. And to put in context, how, how much is there? You know, there's two counties in North Carolina that produce the equivalent in pig poop of half of New York City's wastewater. And so that's one of the metrics that we, we found and calculated and we were like, oh my gosh, that's, this is a metric that we can use because everyone knows New York is a huge city. And if we put it in metrics of this gigantic city that everyone knows is humongous and half of that, then people can understand the scale of how much pig poop there is in this area. You know, that, that's yeah. a metric people can get. And then you combine that with the fact that like, we hear so much about cattle and cows, but they kind of they just kind of roam, whereas hogs they are they are consolidated in in really really close proximity. They don't graze like mm -hmm. cows do. Oh. Yeah, 
I mean, there's, uh, so the, the term for this kind of uh, live protein production, it's called CAFOs, uh, Concentrated Animal Feed Operations. And it's basically where you're trying to produce um, large quantities of um, large quantities of protein in a in with some kind of space requirement that's usually smaller. I, um, I forget the USDA definition exactly, um, but essentially you got a couple buildings, and that's where your your livestock are, and they're contained to this space. And that's where they live. That's where they do their thing. But it also means that uh, you have to have a waste management system that's suitable to that. And one of the things that we've learned, um, not being an agricultural wastewater company and then becoming an agricultural wastewater company, is how many different ways there are to do that. Um, because there's a lot of different ways. And it changes with every kind of livestock production. Um, I can't tell you how many times. Uh, so for context, ours is specifically with pigs. We are a hog, um, hog production wastewater treatment specific company. Um, and right now we're focused on North Carolina because they have one kind of wet waste management system. And actually other areas of the U.S. use a different kind. You know, we we focus on lagoon based systems, which is basically when you have your hogs and they're living in their buildings. And then they poop and pee, but they're living on these floors that actually have slats in them. So the poop and pee goes down into kind of like a basement, but that basement basically holds the waste and then flushes like a giant toilet out into what's called a swine lagoon. And this swine lagoon is basically just a, um, a pond. It's usually rectangular. Um, and it's the size of a couple of football fields and the waste lives there. It's got about a six month time that the waste is hanging out in there. And then the waste will get taken out. The liquid will get taken out and either used to spray irrigate crops or it'll get sucked up and taken back around to function as basically the liquid that flushes the toilet underneath where the pigs live. And that's essentially how a lagoon based system works. But it's more complicated than that because there's different ways to flush the toilet. And also in the Midwest, they use a different kind of wet waste management system. They don't use lagoons, they use something called deep pits. And then there's also other kinds. And especially once you get into different livestock, I mean, they really are like, it's diff. I could say like, oh, it's a different animal, but it really, really is. So, so much about it is different. So who's the customer? The 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 pig farmer, mm -hmm. the the person who owns the land, the the state. Like who 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 are you selling to in these situations? That is a phenomenal question because this industry, like this industry, is complicated, um, and there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of players and a lot of complexity and all also not a lot of availability of information. So um, we work under kind of an assumption that. We know where our system is going to end up, but, you know, a lot of farms are contract farms, which is where, you know, the uh, uh, integrator, which is the large company that, you know, that moves everything along from place to place. They're the ones who end up with the hogs at the end. Um, but there's a lot of other parts to that. So, 
the people who own the land are usually the contract growers. So they'll grow hogs, just like you grow corn or you grow soybeans. They own the land and so they grow. Um, but they only have them for a period of time and then it goes back to the integrator or it goes to the next step in the cycle. Um, and this means that the financial tracking for this industry is also just as complicated. And um, you know, when it comes to contract specifics, there is no general standard that we've really come to know about as far as like, oh, everyone works under this style contract or that style contract. A lot of this stuff is not public, public knowledge. Um, so when it comes to uh, who pays, there's some complexity there. And that's also coupled with, you know, there are options out there for potential other customers as the customer that pays the bill. Is what you so, do required by someone? Mm -hmm. Does like the state require that this waste management happens? Is, is, is it even to the complexity of that where they're not do doing that? And this is just something extra like. It's complicated. Um, yeah. I wish you would use a different I, word there. I, yeah, like, well, I have such an opportunity so, to say it's for 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 right. context. Rachel, uh, you explained it to me before, like where mm -hmm. we're agriculturally speaking, where they are today is where humans used to be. I think you said in the seventies. Yeah. So essentially, um, what you're talking about, Zach, where the government mandates something and you got to clean it to a certain standard. That's how human waste works. Um, Basically, um, if anyone was alive, any listeners uh, were around and kicking and sentient in the early, early 70s, late 60s, you know, you probably remember that the environment wasn't doing too hot. You know, rivers were catching on fire several times and, you know, things weren't great. So the Clean Water Act of 1972, yeah, 1972, I believe, um, was passed. And with the goal of making all water, bodies of water in the U.S. fishable and swimmable. Um, and so what this did was it created the EPA. And beyond what people usually know the EPA for right now, you know, for passing down regulations and protecting land, it also regulates wastewater. And so um, when this happened, they basically said, okay, so all human waste is going to need to meet these standards um, on the one hand. This is what the, you know, the wa water needs to look like before you put it back out into the river or the wetland or whatever. Um, but we also know that that's going to be expensive and it's going to require a lot of capital, a lot of, you know, big expensive tanks in order to do that. So here's some money. And, you know, this money could be in the form of a forgivable loan or a grant and the ways that that money is structured have differed over time, but essentially there's, you're gonna meet these standards, but here's the money. We're gonna help you pay for all of the big expensive tanks and equipment that you're gonna need in order to do this. And then y'all are gonna be responsible for operating it and basically making sure that the water is meeting those standards. But that's your, your job. We'll help you pay for the big expensive stuff but the day-to-day -day operation, that's y'all's thing. So that's how municipal wastewater treatment for people gets funded. Now, agriculture was specifically excluded 
from that. And that's because at the time, a lot of, you know, animal production and meat production, it was mom and pop. It was small scale. You know, it's, you know, grandma and grandpa with 300 pigs. That's, you know, their side business from their other farming business or something like that. So then cue the 80s and 90s, vertical integration, you know, farms are going from 300 pigs to 3,000 to 13,000. So, and this differs, you know, based on the area, you know, ge uh, different geographies have different kind of norms, but basically um, it did, it stopped being non-point source. Now there's a point source and it's this farm or these farms, and there's a lot of waste coming out of it. And it's not, you know, just pigs walking around in a field. It's, you know, a building with a wet waste management system, you know, so agriculture has come under the Clean Water Act more and more, but, um, you know, where it stands now and where it's going in the future is uh, still something that is being heavily debated within um, the agricultural field, within the EPA, and um, beyond. It's almost, so uh, it's almost like some... a game of chicken in the sense of who's going to pay for it because so many people win. Mm -hmm. So like as a result of, of what you all are doing, if I understand it correctly, the hogs are healthier because they are now have fresher water as opposed to being recycled from the lagoon to wash everything out. The air is mm -hmm. cleaner. The, the meat is better. Yeah. The pigs weigh more. So the farmers benefit because they're able to be the sense that they're healthier from an environmental standpoint, the government, all of us benefit. So it's just like, it's, it's that question of back in the, the, the 60s and 70s, who's going to pay for it? And everyone's waiting for someone else to pay for it. Yeah. Well, one of the, and Tim, I am so glad you mentioned that because that's something I, you know, that that's important context for this. So basically with human wastewater, the EPA can say, yeah, we'll pay for it because that's our citizens. We're the government. We're responsible for the citizens. And so we'll foot the bill when it comes to agriculture. And um, but when it comes to agriculture, it's a little different because it's private industry. But it's still going into, you know, there, there's still effects that affect civilians and society and our country. But it gets complicated because it's a private enterprise. So what do you do now if farms were to get regulated and say, okay, well, y'all have waste. You guys need to start meeting these standards. That would be similar to the municipal wastewater treatment, except right now, a lot of the options for regulating have not come with that crucial element of funding, which, I mean, if you guys have ever been to a wastewater treatment plant or any of the listeners, I highly recommend just Google images and you'll see giant tanks. Those giant tanks cost a lot of money there's a reason that the EPA helps with footing the bill and it's because this stuff is expensive, but the EPA found that it was in the public interest. So it worked, but also that was for humans. That was for our, you know, our citizens. And because this is private industry, it gets a little complicated. And so that's something that regulators and um, government agencies are really going to have to figure out in the next like 10 years, probably. But when it comes down to impact, the impact of removing, you know, of removing um, 
nitrogen or phosphorus from the environment and our piece of the pie is nitrogen. The impact of removing, you know, a lot of nitrogen from uh, hog farming or just animal farming in general, it has the potential to create humongous benefits. And, but because of this kind of lack of funding, um, it's created a lot of problems because wastewater treatment plants are expensive and we can't expect farmers to be able to just throw in a bunch of million gallon tanks or thousand gallon tanks even at a farm and also operate them because wastewater treatment requires operation. It doesn't just happen. So are we going to be expecting farmers to all of a sudden become wastewater operators and pay for and their own that, systems? That's kind of like where you come into play uh, in terms of that's, that's the product, Zach, in terms of like, like on-demand, uh, like remote monitoring, wastewater management. That's what yeah. Pancopia provides to the farmer. Yeah. Oof, only uh, 37 minutes into the podcast and finally getting to what my company does. Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, that's essentially what we do is we try to bridge the gap between what wastewater treatment should be happening and can provide benefits with and the funding limitations of the field that we're attempting to enter. So, um, I mean, like I said, these tanks, big tanks, wastewater treatment plants, they are expensive. So we've tried to narrow it down to basically what can make the biggest impact. Well, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in poop and pee, but if we can manage the nitrogen in there, then we can make a really big difference. So we created basically a, I don't, I don't want to say a pared down, but a prioritized wastewater treatment system that can meet the needs of agriculture, basically by keeping it cheap and also by making sure that it has actual benefits to the producers and the integrators by, you know, we actually improve pig health and they can gain more weight. We decrease mortality. Um, and beyond that, we also help them, you know, get into biogas production, you know, which is, you know, really, really big in the agricultural industry and specifically within hog production. This is the new thing. Um, and I'm going to get back to that in a second. But one of the ways that we also meet the needs of our market is by making sure that our system can be remotely operated. Because all wastewater systems, for the most part, you have to operate them if you want them to work well. Otherwise, you're going to end up a year in, something breaks, it's probably fixable. It's probably easily fixable if you know what you're doing. But if you don't know what you're doing, you kick it, call it a piece of crap and walk away and say it doesn't work. So we are not trying to sell failure. We're not trying to sell a system that's going to break or that's not going to be kept up because then it's all just a waste of money. So- so what do you have like a sensor you know, in there that, that registers how much crap's in it and then it goes back to to, to your app at home and you're like, ah, that's really shitty. Like, we're going to work on that one. Yeah, there is perfect in there. Can confirm. Yeah. I mean, so we, we have a remote operated system and, you know, um, we can make sure that the systems that are going to be on farms 
are still going to be sending information and data to us so we can make decisions and change things and make sure it's going right and send someone out if need be. And we can do the operation because we're the ones who, you know, we will be, we're qualified operators. We know how to do this. We know what we're doing. And so it's important that the operation stays with people who know what they're doing. So it doesn't end up being, you know, a piece of crap system that doesn't work or breaks within a year because it may not be operated correctly. But, and we also don't want to add anything to the farmer's workload. They got enough to do. They don't need to, they don't need to be worrying about this. So um, we try to create a lot of benefits while also making sure that we're not, um, we're not selling failure and also that we're not adding to anyone else's workloads. Do you think that um, I, as I'm listening to this, I'm just thinking like cattle gets a bad name for the amount of methane that is produced and then the chickens like that whole thing like the free range eggs and all that stuff that that became really a big popular thing but hogs have kind of like they've kind of gone unscathed you know like well, that's not true well in terms of like bacon is great and everything like you know fueled by bacon or that you know hogs don't i don't think that hogs and, and just pigs in general get the uh the same level of scrutiny as maybe as cows and, and chicken because of bacon but, you know, but so like my question is, is it just because like hogs and, and pigs and bacon and is marketed themselves better, you know, in a different light to like, hey, look at this over here. But don't so you don't pay attention to behind the scenes. Like a lot of people probably have no I mean, have zero insight in terms of like. How how hogs are raised and uh, I don't well, know, I'm just I will curious. say I will say the life of if, if you're going to be an animal. If I was going to choose to be an animal in some kind of live protein production CAFO environment, I would be a pig. Oh, wow. Really? They, um, the last one I would want to be is probably a chicken. Uh, yeah. Or, Aren't chickens like there. birth to whatever in like six weeks? It's uh, crazy. Well, you're confined in a really small spot. You don't have to have a really large spot to be considered yeah. free range, if I remember right. No, no. Okay. Have you ever watched Super Size Me too? Morgan Spurlock goes and shows you how ridiculously yeah. you can get that stuff labeled. In a chicken coop, right, they literally right. put a fence on a four-foot door. They opened a four-foot door, put a fence on, and that's now considered free range because there yeah. was literally a foot of deck space, if you will. And that's obnoxious. Mm -hmm. But you see free range, and you're like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, oh, this chicken lived in the grass and was happy and frolicked. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it. That's a great movie if you've never seen it. It's it's free yeah. on YouTube. Just type super size me too. Um Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean but it's, it's, just... it's it's interesting. And hogs have definitely uh hog production has had its fair share of um PR issues, um especially recently. Well, I remember um, when I worked in TV, like 10 years. they had this Smithfield mm -hmm. stuff that there was a bunch of farms in Smith at the Smithfield Foods that were um, being undercover recorded. And that became a big thing. And that was mm -hmm. maybe even North mm -hmm. Carolina. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Hog production in North Carolina has um, has definitely had its PR struggles. Um I mean, there's there's definitely information out there if someone is looking for it. But as someone in the industry or, you know, who is a, our company is attempting to get into the industry, all I can say is um, 
with the amount that I've looked into it and seen, uh, it's not a black and white story. And it's not a uh, good versus evil or evil corporation. It's a bad situation. And it's not particularly, it's not malicious, but yeah. basically it's people who are just trying their best on both sides, on all sides. So, well, but sometimes that trying their best, you know, I, I hate to use your uh, now favorite word or answer of mine, Zach, but it's complicated. Um, well, I guess the, thing, that is. the thing that's uh, mm -hmm. that's complicated is that you are creating, I mean, this you're creating your own market segment. Like this, this did not exist before. So this just takes yeah. a lot of time. Um, mm -hmm. And then in terms of so like you all have been really, really fortunate with the whole Sibber grant process because yeah. that allows you all with some funding to like, prove this stuff out so that you can find out what that market is, what that market looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've been really effective at using SBIRs to, um, uh, which is uh, for any listeners, small business innovation research grants and contracts. We've been really fortunate with that. Um, and for anyone with a bunch of uh, crazy cool tech ideas that wants to get it funded and not do any equity stuff, you know, SBIR is an amazing option. It's uh, not easy money, but it's free money if you can get it and if you can prove that uh, you're going to be worth it. But we've been really lucky. Uh, our NASA contracts have been SBIRs um, into phase threes. And then our, you know, our Penoxic system, the uh, agricultural wastewater treatment system that we're developing for hog production, that has been developed through SBIRs. Funny enough, um, through USDA, but also primarily Department of Energy. And DOE is, um, you know, they, they say at SBIR conferences that, you know, what agency funds what can, you know, be unexpected. And it really can. Um, you know, like in uh, National Institutes of Health, wait, 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 no, sorry, uh, Department of Defense is one of the biggest funders of breast cancer research. Similarly, Department of Energy is actually a funder of our agricultural wastewater treatment um, system, Panoxic, because they're really interested in biogas. And this is something that I haven't been able to talk about quite yet, but um, the power of poop. Uh, basically, poop has a lot of stuff in it, and some of that carbon can be turned into methane for biogas generation. You can actually power things off of poop which is pretty cool, especially because in North Carolina and in um, CAFOs, generally, there is a lot of poop. And so if you can harness that energy and use it to create power, not only is that added revenue streams for farmers and producers and, you know, a moneymaker, but also it's renewable natural gas. And, you know, if there's too much nitrogen, then you know you're not going to get quite as much biogas out of that poop, but if you can handle your nitrogen and balance up your ratios, you can actually get a lot more biogas out of your poop by handling the nitrogen. So that's one of the thing, one of the uh, benefits of our system is that we clear the way for biogas to be as effective as it can be, or at least remove one big roadblock. Have you guys always been based out of Hampton? Yes. Yes. Okay. Actually, we're, uh, we got our start in, um, it used to be called uh, Peninsula Technology Incubator, now Reactor. 
um, that's where that's where Bill started the company. Got it. Um, the name comes and from Hampton has been a great resource for us. They've been absolutely incredible. Highly recommend to anybody trying to start a business, start in Hampton. There you go. Um, uh, the the name. What's the origins of the name? Uh, our system, Panoxic. Yeah, Pancopia. What's the what, what, yeah? What's the origins of the name? Oh, uh, okay. So when Bill started this company, he was thinking pan like all, and then copia like cornucopia. You know, resources, abundance. Um, basically, saying pancopia. There's enough resources for all of us if we just figure out how to use them right. Um, you know, kind of reminiscent of the whole, uh, you know, overpopulation issue, you know, we're going to run out of resources, we're going to run out of this, we're going to run out of that, you know, our population is getting too big. Well, it's not, because technology keeps adapting with our changing population. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we just look at the resources we have and figure out how to either use them more efficiently, use them better, use them again, you know, then we have more than enough resources. All of this, it's an engineering problem. You know, we just have to figure out how to get the most out of what we got. And that's what our company does is try to use uh, resources that are abundant, like waste, and make them work for people instead of against people. Yeah, the whole thing's fascinating. As, as, as I think this through, how it's just going to go full cycle, how this started is a request from NASA to solve that mm -hmm. problem. And then you bring it back down to earth and you have the hog production. And, and it, so then you're gonna be able to, you'll learn how to do this at scale. But then as, mm -hmm. as we then strive to become multi-planetary and have civilization on either Mars or the moon, you're going to need a system like this because I mean, like we hear it all the time. And as you talked about, water is just an essential part of life and so it's just interesting to see how things will uh yeah what, what do you see will i will you be at scale on earth before you uh before we become multi-planetary what, what's going to become what's going to come first in your opinion well we'll be at scale hopefully um hopefully next year in the spring uh we've got our first full-scale system going in already have the funding for it um right now we're in engineering design yes exactly zach we are very excited about this um but also um and and also added uh kind of pushback probably on the nasa thing is it takes a lot to get an experiment flown so we probably won't be flying within this within the year but um we're hoping to fly soon and actually uh like we were talking about before before the podcast started with netflix what are you watching on netflix um the show that i've been watching because in addition to working for NASA, I'm a sucker for space. But there's this HBO Max show called How Our Universe Works. And there's an episode about Saturn that I watched literally three days ago. And it blew my mind. The last 10 minutes of the episode, they're like, oh, yeah. And by the way, there might already be life on this moon off of Saturn on Titan. You know, mm. actually, you could go there. And, it, you know, you need to figure out your oxygen sources but you'd be able to wear the same coat that you would wear to Antarctica and you'd be fine. And it's got a similar atmosphere. Oh, and by the way, there's also this uh, crazy abundant 
resource called, I think it was like hydrogen three or helium three. And it was like, yeah, it's not really on earth, but it's everywhere on Saturn and it's, it's super abundant. And yeah, that'll fuel space travel. It's actually insanely productive and you could get back to earth in a month. I'm just thinking. Zach, Zach is there anything you want to add about, but anything, Zach, anything you want to add about Uranus? I don't, I don't, I'm not very familiar. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'll just keep it at that. Um, I, I would like to congratulate you. It took 176 episodes uh, of, of this show for me not to have to ask the question, what are you watching on Netflix? You just jumped on in. You were like, I'm telling you, it's the show called uh, How the Universe Works on um, mm-hmm. Max, which used to be HBO Max which is so weird oh. that they got rid of HBO out of that because you think the brand behind mm-hmm. that would have so much longevity, but they were like, screw it. We're just going to go max. I don't get it. I wasn't in those conversations. I would have highly advised them against that. That's a Me different too. story. But yeah, I get, I, yeah. I'm going to check this show out. Did you, did you say it has something to do with Uranus too in there? Or is that just like a joke that Tim wanted to say because we're talking about space? <laughs> I gotcha. Apparently, okay. Uranus also has this fuel source. So, Allegedly. you know. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. I, have, I haven't I, seen I would, that episode yet. Well, that's um, season two. I would like to know, what is the most significant, like, scenario, uh, product, bumper sticker that has to do with crap that you've ever seen? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I hate to say I might have already used it with number one and the number two business because that one's just really good. That was that was very clever. Some things that but, I thought of, one of the greatest mm-hmm. um, uh, Shark Tank episodes of all time, the Squatty Potty. A lot of people uh, learned about that. Uh, you know how you got to raise your legs up to, to drop a two uh, down the canoe, if you will. Um, I've never <laughs> said that before. I don't know why I just said that. This is ridiculous. Oh my gosh. I have a squatty potty. It's amazing. Oh god. I remember my wife would send those to people as like gag gifts um for Christmas because she thought it was funny. Um I'm about to yeah. cry. My sister, <laughs> my older sister, her license plate when we were younger, she got her car and she was like, Let's do a custom license plate. Well, it says that you can't use any excrement. I wonder if I said holy poo, like how far would it let me get? And it let her get all the way through. And then they sent her the license plate. We were expecting her it to get shut down. The license yeah. plate is holy poo. I saw I saw a license plate the other day that I was like, I can't remember what it was, but I remember I like looked at my wife and I said, I hope that is not someone's initials and that is what it's supposed to mean because that is awesome. And like I can't remember what it was, but it was so classic when I saw it. I a bad story to tell without the actual initials on there or the or the letters so i apologize what about shit happens the great forrest gump movie you know that was mm-hmm. a, a, yep. a very big one as well uh, it the happens. number one what'd you say it happens yeah i mean i, I remember seeing mm-hmm. those bumper stickers everywhere and that was super popular obviously you got the uh just the the stack of uh crap uh that people text each other all the time the little emoji thing mm-hmm. that's a very popular one um mm-hmm. you could think about the great scene from guy. ace ventura a uh, great scene from Ace Ventura 2 when he's coming out of the um, the, the rhino because he's overheating. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of mm-hmm. um, crap moments uh, in, in the world. Um, have you ever thought about doing a, a marketing campaign around just like the most popular poopy moments 
ever. Honestly, once we get a full scale system, if we ever make a marketing video, we're going to have to have some in there. What's Humor. the show that's poopy pants? Is that SpongeBob? Poopy pants. I don't know. But I mean, but. but... <laughs> and then there's the book. Was... Who's the, there's the book, Everybody Poops. Um, I, that that yep. was popular. I have a running book. Oh, I think book SpongeBob was split, like... uh, splitting your pants. I have a book that's like uh, about crapping your pants on in runs, on, on when running, and the nine hundred things other runners need to know, or something like that. I mean, it's obviously very little about that, but I mean, there's a lot. Like, it's so funny because it is one of those. Um, this topic is so like frowned upon, but it's like the thing that everyone does. So it's weird that it's frowned upon. I, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. It's a super huge problem. Yes. I mean, obviously. I, I, I hope this isn't, <laughs> I hope this isn't a slight overshare, but um, so fingers crossed, but I have, um, I have a ulcerative colitis. It's a chronic colon condition. I got it in college and it basically affects your poop. And so I had this kind of preconceived, my sister already had the Holy Poo license plate. Then I got UC. And so my whole family got really comfortable talking about poop. Mm. Um, and then I started, I got hired as an intern at this company and ended up in the field I'm in. And I'm just like, wow, well, I was destined for the poop field. Yeah, I, so Literally. that's what I was going to ask you. When you went to CNU, what what did you expect? What, what did you think that your career, where your career was going to take you? What, oh, yeah. No idea. I I knew. I mean, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, and then I was like, so much school. I don't know if I want to do that. And so then I figured out during my freshman year, it's like I want to work for the environment. I have no other ideas beyond that, but I know I want to do that. Will I invent anything? Probably not, which um, actually turned out to not be true. But uh, I was like, well, I can't really, you know, I, I entertained a whole lot of different ideas, narrowed it down. And I was like, well, government, but also then I'm really limited. I don't know. And then I was like, okay, well, the fastest way to make change is to make money. And if you can make something that makes change, make money, then it'll happen so much faster. And you'll see so much more positive change because you won't be fighting against the money. You'll be working with it. And so um, it's like, maybe I'll just, you know, figure it out. I picked a, a major um, for business administration because I was like, I don't know, it seems useful. Um, and then I ended up getting an internship at my company now um, after my junior year. And I was like, this is everything I wanted to do. Oh my gosh. Environmental technology. I get to be a part of it. And, you know, if we can make it make money and make sense in terms of money and have a profit incentive, then this could get out into the, into the world and really make a difference. And so that's pretty much what my whole career goal has, be, uh, has been. I'm not a huge fan of making, you know, specific long-term plans for my career or anything like that because everything changes you know situations are fluid stuff changes and it's better to not get attached to a plan and honestly making 10-year career plans stresses me out so I just kind of have gone by my own personal 
you know, mission statement of, I just want to be working for something that is good for people and good for the planet and gives me experience. And that's pretty much it. If I can be doing those things with my career, wherever I go and however long, you know, I'm going, then cool. I'm happy. So uh, very, very good with the flow. (laughs) (laughs) And the hits just keep on rolling. That's great. No, I, it's, I mean, we've made light of, you know, we've had fun. We may, we've had some jokes, we've had some laughs, but it really is a, a significant problem. I mean, that, that, and it's just fascinating to see that you can take something from NASA and have yeah, the, the impacts that it has on earth's and mm-hmm. it's great work that you're all doing. And I think that you're still really, really, it, you're just early and, and the market is moving in the, in the direction mm-hmm. that, that you all are expertise experts in and have that expertise. So, be interesting. I'm excited for the future and what it ha- what it holds for you. Yeah, me too. I mean, there's 10 times more animal waste in the United States than there is human waste. And it's getting none of the attention. And personally, I think as a society, unless we start figuring out a way to make our waste ma- work for us instead of working against us, I mean that's where the opportunities are. I'm a, I'm a yep. big fan of dirty jobs. I'm a big fan of, you know, the, the icky stuff that people don't want to deal with because it's gross or it's, you know, unattractive or it's smelly. It's like, well, then there's probably a resource here that's untapped. So let's figure out how to use it. I think it's great. There you go. Rich, appreciate your time. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say anything else. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just done. Appreciate it. It's been, I, I've never thought this much about this topic, at least in, in a 60 minute um, time frame. So uh, thank you for that. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been a delight. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on and for dealing with my multiple tangents. And hopefully I got to the point. Oh, that was great. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks.